Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam? I'm Barack Obama, and I endorse this podcast. Coming to you almost live from a derelict oil rig off the coast of Nova Scotia, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. This evening, we have the very lovely Brittany LeBlanc from iNews 880, also known as Brittle on Twitter. And actually, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I hope you say it in the exact same tone the entire podcast. Whatever you say, Brittle. You're, uh, you're way loud there, talking directly into your mic. Well, I'm sorry. No, not you, him. Oh, good. He's, he's going directly into it. I'm excited. He's very excited. How's this? Is this better? That's a little better. Okay. Now you're not... Uh, now you're not actually creating feedback. That's good. They're all going to hate you. I love you. What did that do? Anything cool? It recorded it. Yes! Success! Now people are going to hear it and they're going to think it's a ghost. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> yes, so we're going to talk about Twitter today because that's what everyone's talking about. Also, we're all experts, gurus. Uh, Mavens. Twitter dictators. Twictators? That sounds like a potato dish. Made in Cuba. A Twig dater? <sighs> the coffee here is terrible. We shouldn't have just taken whatever they had left over when they abandoned this place. The microwave didn't even work. I had to rub the coffee vigorously <laughs> to warm it, to warm it, up. it up. I think you've radiation poisoning now. That you keep well. looking at the uh, the broken video camera on this derelict oil rig. No, I keep looking at the TV because it's flashing my face. And, oh. uh I can't help but be distracted by it because it's shiny. It's, it's amazing that the electricity still works in this place. Not as abandoned as you might think. Um, <laughs> so, um, yes, Twitter is indeed what uh, everyone is talking about nowadays. And it is uh, kind of the most recent, I suppose you could say, um, iteration of what is basically social networking and social media online which is kind of the new way of uh, getting connected, networking, getting information. And there are some who would say that um, that is scary for more traditional media outlets, newspapers, television, radio, what have you. Um, And that's one of the reasons why we asked Brittany to be on the show, because she comes from a unique perspective in that she works for the traditional mainstream media, while simultaneously being kind of an expert, a proponent of the new media, a guru of the new media. Uh, So that kind of made her a very appropriate person to talk to on the subject. Why don't we get right into that then? I I called Brittany a guru and she looked astonished over at me and thought that was a lousy moniker to give her. So, uh, and a lot of people on Twitter call themselves experts and gurus and they have links to websites that tell you how to increase your followers. Why do you hate so much about the word guru? I just hate it because guru's a word that people normally give themselves. And it's a lot of people who can't completely tell you how to use Twitter because the value is different for every person. So they can go on there and they can tell you, you know, your background is stupid because you can only use these backgrounds or um, you can only tweet two to three times a day. Do people actually say, like, this is a, a background endorsed by a Twitter guru? Absolutely. Um, I've taken part in a few different presentations by gurus where they've gone over 
this is a good place to get your background. Don't do backgrounds like this. Your background should mean something. I should point out that every time we use the word expert or guru, we are using air quotes. You can't see it, but we are. And I'm not wearing any clothes. That's because you can't see that either. I can, however, and that's an image that's going to stay with me. You're on the other side of the table. He can feel my nudity. Don't ask how. Um, <laughs> so people, there are quite a few in Edmonton even who call themselves gurus. And uh, they're remarkably silent when... Because it, it seems like every couple of weeks, someone on Twitter is just like, I hate the word expert. I hate the word guru. And... Uh, these experts and gurus have nothing to say about their self-proclaimed status. So, and, and I mean, furthermore, what's your experience been with these presentations? Do these people, without naming names, know what they're talking about? Um, usually I find that they don't. Um, like I said, it's a very, it's a very personal thing because what I value is not the same thing that you value and what Scott values is not the same that I value. And everyone has their own value. Um, which I'm going to keep saying because that's my buzzword, apparently. Um, but all these gurus go out there and they say, you know, if you're a company, don't do it this way and don't do it that way. And you can't be a person on there because you're a business. Whereas everyone who's actually using it is calling for these businesses to be people and to be personalized. So I find that a lot of gurus just aren't getting it. It's a lot of people who sign up there right away, think that, you know what, hey, there's a market here for me to go teach the world and they go out there without having too much experience themselves. These are a lot of people who, when they retweet something, they don't just retweet it because it's something that they find interesting or they think that their people would like. They're like, no, this is strategy. Everything has a strategy. I'm going to retweet this so that that person knows I exist and that I get this many bumps in the Twitterverse. But I quite often will tweet things with a specific strategy in mind to come across as a hilarious jackass and to try and score chicks. How's that going for you? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Anyways. Um, you used the word values a couple times. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, a couple. There should be a counter at the bottom of the screen or something. Every time Brittany says, uh, says values, a little fairy will make a noise. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who are you calling? Hey, a little fairy? listen. Anyways, I just made her day, actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> but you do keep using the word value. And what do you personally take out of Twitter? What is what is the thing that sold you on the on the medium and makes you keep going back to it as a tool? Well, for me, Twitter, like I, I was a big skeptic because I do not care what you have for dinner. And I don't care how many times you use a bathroom in a day. So I signed up just kind of being like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And then I found out that there's this huge opportunity to network and meet people. Um, I had never met Adam before Twitter. And I mean, we work fairly close to each other, but we never would have met, right? And we have some of the same friends, but it's just, it's weird. There are so many people that I've connected with on here that it's, it's great and my life is so much more enriched because of that. Um, but I would never have met them if it wasn't for Twitter and the networking potential that it has. Do you find that, uh, you know, beyond making friends, which I would agree with you, has been really one of the most interesting things about Twitter. And because it was so such a different technology for me, I just decided um, 
to go to some of these tweet ups and try and meet some people and see what you know if they were you know hilarious strange geeks and some of them are or if they were just normal folk who for some reason likes like broadcasting what they're doing over their computer have you um have you found using twitter that you've been able that you've other opportunities have opened up to you um like for ha- perhaps being involved in podcasting that might be not exactly what i was driving at but yeah i mean definitely that's a, that's an excellent example yeah no absolutely there's all kinds of opportunities how many people have gotten jobs from the people that they've met or i know that because i've met such a diverse amount of people if somebody says to me hey i need hey a hairdresser i got my hair cut from a girl that i met on twitter and she did a fantastic job hmm. um yeah i've met a few people that have provided opportunities or just answers to questions like um the other day because i work in marketing i find that i'm always looking for like technology to do certain things or you know we we build websites sometimes so you know there are alternative technology solutions say i didn't mean for that to sound like a motto of a company but um i've interacted with a bunch of people who provided a ton of information even on like hosting this podcast um you know, people are all about offering up fabulous information and they don't expect anything in return except for uh, hey, thanks, which is really cool. It is definitely, it's an environment where Twitter kind of came from nothing and it's like they didn't have a plan to make money from it. And it's definitely kind of a, almost a hippie subculture where it's a whole bunch of people who go on there and they will help other people out for nothing just because you're friends with these people and you're kind of connecting with all these people on a crazy intimate level that none of us really thought were possible before Twitter. Like you're connecting with strangers. It's weird. It has been crazy intimate, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a little too intimate sometimes. Okay, let's um, let's kind of slide the topic along. One of the things that uh, that Twitter has been described to me as is an ongoing conversation with everyone, and. On the one hand, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, some people just aren't interested in what you're having for dinner. But on the other hand, there is a lot of material of substance that gets discussed on Twitter and really just like in real life. And uh, you can really see that with their trending topics. You can see what's going on in the world. And yeah, admittedly, if, you know, Lost comes on, that's going to trend pretty high. But at the same time, you know, the North Korea situation, the Iran situation, the, uh, the bombings in Mumbai are all things that quickly kind of dominated the conversation and got people information about what was going on and got people involved in what was going on from a standpoint of someone involved in the media how useful is that for you see it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's great i love the immediacy I was out at something earlier today and I made sure to give updates where I was going. I sent a picture from the scene because people need that immediacy. That's why they're on Twitter. Um, With things like Mumbai, we talked to two people from Mumbai as it was happening purely because we approached them on Twitter and we're like, hey, do you want to talk to some radio station in Canada to tell them what's going on from your point of view? It's got great potential and it's amazing. Obviously, with things like uh, Tehran right now, it's hard to know who is in Iran to talk to uh, because everyone's switching over their profiles to Iran. Um, and I think a big problem, though, with everything and people getting their 
like news from something like Twitter is that there is a huge, huge possibility that what you're getting isn't completely true. Because so many people retweet things. It's like playing a game of telephone, but online. And I know that especially during Mumbai, there are so many times that I would see something get retweeted like 50 times and it was completely wrong. So it's good because it gets things out there, but because it's so fast at getting things out there, a lot of times what's out there isn't always true. Now, would that be why perhaps some of the uh, some of the more mainstream media has been, I w- I, I'm going to use the word dumping on forms of social media such as Twitter because uh, the information is not necessarily accurate because uh, it's not it's not fact-checked. Or it's not fleshed out, right? Well, that too, because, of course, you've only got, in the case of Twitter, 140 characters. Is that one of the reasons why there's, I'm going to say, some hostility almost from a lot of the mainstream media towards uh, something like Twitter? Well, and I think a lot of hostility, it comes both ways. You've got um, a mainstream media that takes a little bit longer to get you that information, but that's because they're fact-checking and they're double sourcing and making sure that it's the correct information before they're running with it because they have to be accountable. That's their job. And then you've got all these people who are just throwing it out there and that's fine. It's great that they have the immediacy, but they have no accountability to anybody but themselves. And when they put it out there, if the mainstream media isn't seen as doing it quick enough, they get a host like hostility is directed at the mainstream media. But I don't think that the mainstream media really like they kind of need some leeway with it. It's a it's a new technology for mainstream media. And we're just doing things the way that we can and the best we can. Yeah, I think that's a good point, but there there is a level of hostility that seems less like I mean you 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 use the uh a reason like accountability. Okay, fair enough. I am only accountable to me or the audience that I have, I suppose. But I think that's kind of bullshit. Like I think that, you know, a lot of people aren't trying to spread disinformation or anything or necessarily promote an agenda, but it is turning into a race to get the accurate information. And for me, it's so it seems like normal people now are on the mainstream's turf, say, and that rightly or wrongly pisses people off. Like, this is the job I do. I'm good at it. I've done it for 20 years. How dare some upstart uh, Twitterer or blogger uh, Dane to say that he or she has more information or more knowledge on this than I do. Well, those jerks. Um, <laughs> I think that that's a huge, a huge debate that will continue going on for a few years now. Um, are citizen journalists or bloggers as good as the mainstream media? Well, if you look at it, sometimes the citizen journalist or the blogger, that's all they're working on in a day. Is They take as long as they want, as much time as they need to, to work on that blog. Chances are they might have a little more information that somebody that's going down there, you know, doesn't have that much time and produces four, five, ten stories in a day. Um, as well, I mean, the mainstream media, yeah, sometimes they're not really big fans of citizen journalists or bloggers. I know that we at iNews, we work together with them. Um, but I, myself, have been out at events where they have allowed citizen journalists or bloggers. And you get the good ones that know what they're doing. And then you get people who are just total hacks well they're out there and they're they're talking while people are recording video they're in scenes they're laughing they're clapping they don't know how to act and a problem is if you're in there and you're being a member of the media you have to be unbiased and you need to be out there and you don't clap at things and you need to have certain kinds of mannerisms 
it's and respect for other members of the media that are there. Perhaps a level of professionalism that they're that they're lacking. They're not taking themselves seriously, and they're not taking what they're what they're doing seriously. Well, I would argue that there are journalists out there who behave that way as well. I mean, probably not clapping, but certainly being, you know, lazy or uncouth or just not not being professionals. You know, some people march into a room or a press conference with an agenda, and you don't have to be a blogger to behave that way. I just uh, it bothers me that um, that this new media is that it is causing the reactions it's causing among the mainstream media like like without you know knee-jerk reaction take a hard look at what people are doing these people are really excellent at covering stuff and yeah they're gonna have their own slants because they're not journalists they don't work for anybody but they're doing a hell of a job and they are filling a void that and and providing detailed coverage of stuff that other outlets just don't have the resources to cover the new social media isn't just twitter um, there are other uh, kind of facets to it that are worth mentioning and worth discussing, especially as it pertains to uh, the mainstream media. And uh, one in particular that I'm thinking of right now is Facebook. Facebook, love it or hate it, and there are people who do both. Hate it! There you go. Um, but at the same time, has in the past, I know for a fact, been a useful tool to the mainstream media. And I uh, I know for a fact that it's been a useful tool for you, in particular, uh, in tracking down stories, finding uh, witnesses or uh, people close to, like, a victim or what have you. Do you think that a tool like Facebook is useful in that context for, for gathering information on people and for finding people? Absolutely. People have no privacy anymore. They put everything on the internet. Which is so dumb. Uh, I agree. But... And I think that a lot of people post on their Facebook all this kind of things and they think, ha oh, my friends will understand this. Well, yeah, but if you get caught doing X and the media are now on there, they're going to take that a whole different way because they're not your friends. They don't know what you're posting and they don't know how you're posting this. Um, I think that people, I think there's a huge legality issue that I don't think has been touched on that needs to be and it needs to be ironed out in the next few years as to what can be used from Facebook because it's Facebook's material, right? Like Facebook owns everything. What can we use? How much of it can we verify? Because there are times that we'll find certain people on Facebook and be able to use that information to verify with other sources and get other information from. I'm all about, um, you know, the libertarian aspect of that. If you're stupid enough to open your profile up to allow media members to see it, no offense, you know, then fill your boots. like. The, the reason Facebook was awesome before, and I, I was quite a proponent of it back in the day, was it was a closed network. I just like becoming a werewolf and, you know, infecting well, friends. That was fun. the other thing. Like, I mean, Facebook was neat. It was like a less stupid classmates.com. It was just a great way to reconnect with people or to stay in touch with people who are abroad or whatever. It still is. But it's slowly opening up and... and like even the the Facebook land grab. So now people can find you by maybe a common username or your full name or whatever. I'm not comfortable with this. Uh, and I just, I mean, Facebook for me isn't that valuable anymore because it is more public. So you don't have a vanity URL then? Oh, I totally do. I registered Bingo Fuel. There you go. But uh, I mean, every day I, I sit there and I'll receive a message from someone on Facebook. And all I wanted to do is email them back and be like, don't contact me over Facebook. Like, I don't really use Facebook. 
I don't know what it is. It's just this weird disdain for it now. I just want to add that I'm the same. I don't use Facebook except for messages or... Uh, the only reason I'm really on there is because, you know, when a friend has their birthday, they're going to send out their invites via Facebook. So that's the only reason it's a valuable tool for me. Yeah, it's... Uh, Value. It's it's about being on there and not missing anything. It's not necessarily about broadcasting yourself, necessarily. Do you feel then... And I'm going to I'm gonna pitch this out to both of you then because you clearly have strong feelings about Facebook as well, Adam. Um, do you feel that... Facebook has come to a point where it is almost too mainstream and that has kind of sullied it in a way because I know that there are some people who are starting to feel that same way about Twitter. I, you know what? I, I, I'm not, I'm definitely not one of those people who's like, oh, everyone else likes this. Well, I'm out. It's sold out to the man. I don't like this anymore. That's why I didn't go to Coldplay because everybody loves Coldplay. I couldn't afford tickets. Yeah, why were they so expensive? Because uh, they're Coldplay? Because Chris Martin can play the piano and sing at the same time. <gasps> He's oh, multi, that. multi-talented, He's but dreamy. that's but that's not the answer to my question. You, <laughs> there are legitimately people who think that though, and do you think that that is part of the perception there? And and do you think that that's starting to hurt, say, Twitter, uh, because it's also becoming more mainstream? It's no longer this little website that could. Uh, do you think that's making a lot of people kind of back off, back off of it, or not give it a fair shake? <laughs> Sorry, fair shakes. Wow. Um, I was wiggling my ass when Scott <laughs> said that. <laughs> um, I think that one of the things that you're kind of talking about here is the fact that the users have kind of plateaued on Twitter. Um, because the attrition is now so big that people aren't posting as much anymore. There are so many more users, but a lot of them are not sticking around past like a month. Um, I think it's just that there was this crazy mainstream media. They're all like, hey, look at Oprah. Hey, look at Ashton Kutcher. Hey, CNN. And everybody was like, wow, Twitter. And they signed up. But they signed up thinking it was a weird celebrity interaction method. And then they got there and they didn't understand it. It's actually very poor for inter- interacting with celebrities. Um, like That's not true. Felicia Day and I are now like besties. Yeah, but is Felicia Day an Edmontonian? No. Yeah. Is she? No. Oh, I don't know. I don't know who Felicia Day is. Oh wow! I just got the look. Who's we are Felicia not friends. Day? Felicia Day sort of like she was on Buffy, and okay, she has the exactly guild. Why I don't know. And the guild, yes. she was Penny in Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog, which, which I still haven't watched. How is she in your podcast? Like seriously? It's the because nip- it's we the nipple clamps. Because we both decided we wanted to do a podcast. Wow. He didn't. He didn't really do. There wasn't a very large screening process. Apparently. Okay, world. I will watch Dr. Horrible because I promised you and Christine that I would. Yeah, like and, months ago. Well, and I even have it on my computer. Oh my goodness. I'm really lazy. Um, yeah, Nathan Fillion sings in it and Neil Patrick Harris. Come on. But like, so, okay, yeah, people get onto Twitter because they think that they can interact with people like Nathan Fillion or Will Wheaton or if you're a fan of Star Trek, Lieutenant Commander Data. Who's done some really interesting things with Twitter actually. Actually, he's done a brilliant thing with Twitter in but, my opinion. Um, you really like it's it is actually very difficult to be heard by those people i mean you can do at replies but when when you're being followed by a million people or half a million people and they're all responding to what you're saying well uh forgive me for saying but that's a cluster frack tell me about it it's it's a hard life well trying to explain to reply to all these people but you do follow you follow a lot of people don't you i follow just under 1500 now how the Um, hell do you do it I just follow them. I just I just go through there a lot. I 
use a lot of hashtags. Um, I don't know, I'm lot. on there a lot. I don't have, um, I don't use TweetDeck. I don't do any kind of filtering. I use the web. I am very old school that way. I tried TweetDeck, I didn't like it. I, I read almost all my tweets on the web or on my uh, Blackberry. You're an early adopter. A true early adopter. I, I just, I can't do it. I use T-Whirl sometimes, but even then, like, no, I need to go on the web. Is it T-Whirl or Twirl? Twirl? I don't know. That's because I've been calling it Twirl this whole time. You go ahead and Twirl. All right. Um, but one of the things that gets trotted out a lot is a, is a criticism of it. And I think this is probably what terrified a lot of the new Oprah users, say, or the Ashton Kutcher users, was when they got on there, they didn't, one, they didn't know what the hell to do. Who do I follow besides Oprah? Um, two, if, when you do, if you're one of those people who winds up following a bunch of people, it's scary. Like the amount of information scary. It's not unless you're following very scary people, right? Yeah. Well, and it's hard because you have to follow these people. And a lot of people don't start off slow. I think pretty much everybody started off pretty slow and followed, you know, 50 people at first yeah. and then a hundred people. And then they kind of got to, you know, 1500 and <laughs> slowly, slowly. <laughs> and then it's just, it's a slow process. It's like, you know, the boiling water theory. Mm -hmm. You don't really notice it because the water's boiling slowly and you get adjusted to the temperature. I think these people kind of just jumped into the boiling pot and they followed all these people and they were overwhelmed and they weren't sure what to do. And then there's hashtags and why is this person adding me? I don't know them. They're strangers. Oh my goodness, my privacy. <laughs> stranger and then, danger. Stranger danger. They ran away. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, I, I had a friend that I was like, you, she was, she was like, I don't see you enough. I don't talk to you enough. Well, I mean, I broadcast what I'm doing 70 times a day on Twitter. Get on Twitter. So she she signed up an account. And I told people when she had an account, you guys should follow her. And I think actually you do. She broadcast once. Yeah, I was very disappointed, actually, so because you gave her the uh, Adam bump and then she was gone. But she so she starts getting all these emails, people following me. And she was like, I, she, literally, she's like, I don't know what to do. She ran back to Facebook and 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 posted her status on Facebook to say, I'm sorry, Facebook, for signing up for Twitter. Uh, I'll never, uh, I'll never cheat on you again. I've got a coworker and friend that uh, we signed her up a while ago. She's forgot her password, and we include her all the time in tweets because she she's always out with a bunch of us. Who is this? Um, at Jessica underscore Gray. Oh, yeah. And we include her all the time, but she never posts herself because she doesn't know her password anymore. And she's just, she doesn't see any value in Twitter. And she even, she'll go out and she'll see people who Twitter and she'll hang out with Twitter users and she'll go to events. But she herself doesn't Twitter. She's almost like the she's, Twitter fag hag or something. She's, she's incredibly, <laughs> she's incredibly popular on Twitter without actually being on Twitter. Wow. A Twitter fag hag. That's a... Uh... Not something I was expecting to hear. Um, my uh, my other half uh, has been holding out on Twitter uh, because she, um, partly because just to spite Brittany here, um, partly though because she uh, doesn't she doesn't see the value in it. Uh, she doesn't she doesn't understand why people would want to be interested in what she's doing all the time or how she would be interested in what other people are doing and. I keep trying to tell her it, the, sell her on the conversation aspect of it, where it's like, well, it's not just me saying I'm going out for pizza now. I'm also, you know, say, finding out where's a good place for pizza. And then people start, you know, banding about ideas for where I should go for pizza. Or if 
if there's something going on in town, you know, I can find out what's going on and I can pitch in. Like the Bill 44 stuff that happened. For those of you who don't know what Bill 44 is, look it up. Yeah. Because uh, it's worth checking out and it's not good for the province of Alberta. But uh, that's an entirely different topic. But when it happened, Twitter, at least locally, exploded. And, um, like, it goes without saying that it takes a lot of people talking about a subject for it to trend on Twitter. Because there are millions of people on Twitter. And yet Bill 44 was right there trending because it was such a hot conversation when it went into its third reading in the ledge. There were people tweeting about it from, uh, from the floor of the ledge. There were people watching the proceedings, even though it was crazy late at night. Uh, and they were talking about it, and the conversation went on for days. I, uh, and that's, that's the use I get out of it. And that's what I'm trying to sell my other half on. She holding out though so not everyone's uh, okay obviously not everyone's going to be interested in the bill 44s of the world they there are some people who do care about what ashton kutcher is up to um i stayed up for the bill 44 debate um i'm not really sure why i think a lot of it had to do with the fact that so many people that i did follow on twitter were incensed by it um and so it's like this you're you're sitting in a different room from everybody else listening to the same broadcast because it was it was uh, streamed off the web and responding to the same stuff and you start finding like-minded people you start finding people who don't share the same opinions as you and then you can start engaging them and i think that's for me uh a tremendous value but um you know it's it, it, the other thing that you touched on was like go, let's go out for pizza let's let's figure out where we should go for dinner or something like that crowdsourcing stuff has been fabulous like that's one of the great things i get from twitter not even let's uh, where can i go for pizza how about let's go for breakfast and then you get a whole group of people going to breakfast that barely know each other but they're meeting that way well yeah that's why we created the breakfast for hashtag well that wasn't why how did we even create that you know what i think it was just because we do work so close we were just like you know what let's go for breakfast so we went to breakfast and it just gradually over the months has grown to this breakfast war where there's now like 13 people i think that came to the last one yeah like commonly there are probably half a dozen of us that go but what i was asking is how did how did we come up with breakfast war what was breakfast and uh we were fighting so it just made sense (laughs) we we argue a lot yeah there is concern that people are being perhaps a little too cavalier with their with their personal information. Um, do you think that that is something that's going to get worse? Do you think that's something that's going to get better? Do you think that there's going to come a point in the future where um, people are, say, going to wish for their privacy back that they've kind of foolishly squandered when they were young and, and didn't really think about it? Do you think that privacy essentially is going to become a commodity in the future for people who are plugged in online? see where you're going with this um and i don't know if either one of you has your phone uh, hooked up for gps locations or like google latitude or whatever um but basically that allows your friends or anyone to track you wherever you are so if you're going to the grocery store they know you're going to the grocery store if you need to go to the bathroom they know you're there if you go to a saucy adult nightclub they know you've been there so don't tell them that you're visiting your grandma's why are you looking at me I don't go to saucy adult nightclubs. The ones I go to are distinctly lacking in sauce. I can't afford nice places. I think that it's huge, and I think that a lot of people in our generation aren't thinking about it. Um, They've got blogs, they've got their Twitter, and they're putting things on there that 
you know what? 20, 30 years down the road when you have your own kids and they're old enough to look on the internet, guess who's going to read this blog probably? Your kid. Your kid's probably going to be like, hey mom, I saw that you did this and you're not allowing me to do this. Hey mom, did you really sleep with that guy on the first date? Why is it that you're telling me I have to wait to marriage? And I don't know. There's a lot of awkwardness that no one's thinking of. There's also um, a lack of forethought sometimes in what people post in their blogs and post even on Twitter. Um, I remember from ooh, a few months ago, there was a story that came down about this woman who uh, applied for a job, and I don't even remember where. Yeah, I believe I believe it was at Cisco. And she was like, oh, I just applied for this job, and I think I'm going to get it. But I'm not really looking forward to it because it's probably going to suck, but at the very least, my commute won't be that bad. And, and it'll pay me more money. And then, unbeknownst to her, Cisco on Twitter and was like, wow, maybe you shouldn't be tweeting that if you were expecting to get a job here. Yeah. Denied. Offer revoked. Yeah. And, I mean, you have to you have to think about what you're saying. And that's not to say that you shouldn't be able to voice your opinion. But, I mean, there's a certain amount of common sense, almost, that people mm. seem to lack. Well, yeah. going back to the mainstream media here, I don't know how many presentations I've been to where they've said, you know what, if you really want to do this, maybe create this account and create a secondary account with some name that people won't understand or, like, know you under. Just because whatever we say gets judged. And I have on my Twitter account that what I say has nothing to do with the station. However, there's so many times that if somebody sees something on there, they can totally come to the station and be all like, well, you know, your employee said this. Yes, but I'm doing this as a non-employee. But a lot of people just don't see the distinction there. You're always this person. You're always employed by this place. And I don't know how many times I've seen people post things where I'm like, wow, you're going to get fired. I've actually, uh, I'll put a question to both of you in just a moment, but first I'm going to say, I once posted something, I was complaining about something about my job, and I said, I posted something, uh, and I don't remember what it is, or I don't care to share it with you, but a friend of mine on Twitter was just like, you maybe want to delete that, like you don't want people to necessarily, who knows how someone's going to track you down. There was a, uh, someone I follow on Twitter who was talking about smoking drugs, and I was just like, you are broadcasting this to the world. Now people know that you like drugs. Like, do you really want people to know this? Um, I had a picture of myself with a legume crammed up my nose and um, was quoted in on CTV Calgary. And my, the picture of me with the broccoli up my nose was described in the story. I thought it was funny. And then I thought it was dumb. And then I thought, I need to change my picture. Because who knows down the road, like, people who don't know me, what are they going to say when they see a photo of me, you know, being silly on Twitter? I don't know. But have you guys, have either of you, ever typed something in and hit enter and been like, oh dear? Um, only with spelling mistakes. I've been like, crap, I should have read that over. Um, I normally, stuff I post, no regrets, it goes out there. Um, sometimes, oops, maybe I shouldn't have, but hey, it's something I learned from and then I move on. I've hit the delete button before, but, uh, never actually do anything. put something, uh, well, it does remove it from the timeline, but people's... I can still find it. Really? It caches them? Uh, search.twitter.com. Anything, even if you delete, if I make a mistake on my spelling and I've hashtagged it, hashtagged it you can go in there and see that i've done that or if i'm just looking up like if i look up bingo fuel and 
um, you wrote something about your job that you didn't want everyone to see. You know, your chair is uncomfortable. Um, My I can chair go in there. is actually very comfortable. I have no complaints about that. I, I was I was totally speaking. I didn't know. So, but I mean, I could go back in there and find that. There was actually I had a friend a few months ago that applied for a job, tweeted to somebody about it, and then went, "Oh no!" and deleted it. And um, I didn't notice it, but a few weeks later we were talking. And he had mentioned this and said, oh, well, at least you didn't notice it. And then, like, well, let me go look. And sure enough, I found it. I pulled up the tweet because it's always accessible. Whatever you put out there will forever be able to be found. I don't like the word forever. That's why I'm saying but your I kids. Mean, oh, yeah. No, totally. I, I agree. Um, and, and to that point, there's a city in Montana called Bozeman, I believe. Probably the same town that the writers of Star Trek once named a starship after. Uh, the USS Bozeman, but that's a story for another podcast. One whole podcast dedicated to the name of a starship. Yes, I'm pitching that to you right now, Scotty. But uh, Bozeman, Montana, as part of their uh, application process, they now ask people to give them their usernames and passwords for all social networking sites. Apparently, so that people can, you know, an agent of the city can log in and see how many times they've used the F word or whatever. I would never give a business my password for any of it. And I don't care. I've got some direct messages that, you know, I don't need them to see. I've got some private, well, private, I'm using air quotations, Facebook messages that I don't want people to see. But so at which point, like, so they're asking for access to an account. I've got almost a thousand direct messages on my Twitter account. Guaranteed there are some I do not want people to know about. So what if that becomes part of their hiring criteria? Not what you've broadcast on the public timeline but what you're saying in your own head. The, the point was made earlier um, by Brittany that there are some people who can't differentiate Brittany, the web editor for iNews880.com, who represents that company, from Brittany, the person, who's just talking about going down to the grocery store and buying some skim milk. Um, and, and there are, unfortunately, some employers who can't make that distinction either and who think that you basically are representing the company wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And that if you are in your personal life doing something that they don't agree with, that they are within their rights to terminate you. And there have been cases of that happening. Um, I can't remember specifically what I was watching, but I was watching a show. They were talking about uh, a woman who worked for, I think, Delta Airlines. And she was canned because she had a blog online and uh, just for fun, after a plane had landed, a friend of hers had taken some pictures of her basically goofing around in an airplane. And not even like like she was like taking off her clothes or something or doing anything inappropriate. She was just like sitting on the back of some chairs or, you know, reaching up into some luggage, posing for some photos. And Delta fired her over. They said, no, you've posted inappropriate photos in a Delta Airlines uniform on this website. And she didn't even know they knew about the website. She wasn't even using her real name or the name of the airline. And in fact, was blurring out any, you know, stuff. But they they couldn't separate the fact that she was a person who was talking about her personal life from the fact that she was also a Delta Airline employee. I don't know that you'll ever, you know, there are always going to be companies out there that, that overreact to stuff like that. And they're, these are the same companies like Monster Cables who vigorously defend their copyright and make themselves look like complete <laughs> Like, whenever, uh, what Monster does, uh, as an aside, 
is that they find any company that uses the word monster in their business name, and whether or not that has to do with component cables, they'll sue the hell out of them. They, this is what they do. So there are some companies that are rabid about protecting their images. I would argue those companies don't get social media at all. These are the same companies that their Twitter accounts are just Twitter feeds, or they haven't been updated in months, where companies like, say, Comcast, not very popular in the United States, but they've allowed their, um, their um, what are they called, service representatives to create a Twitter account called Comcast Cares. And anyone who's having trouble with their Comcast account can tweet something. And these guys turn it around really quickly. Like, it's you're better off talking to the Twitter account than to the 1-800 number. But So Comcast gets it, or their employees get it, and Comcast is like, well, our employees are smart enough to not go buck wild with this stuff, so it's okay. Delta Airlines needs to pull its head out of its ass and realize that overreactions like that are no good. And on that note, we're dumping on Delta Airlines, and it might not have been Delta Airlines, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it was. I've never flown Delta. Fair enough. And I, I'm not saying I won't, ever. Maybe. So uh, I know that we don't have a guest specifically lined up for next time, but do we have a topic for next time? I'd like to talk about, you know, growing the city in a smart way that will be conducive to getting more people downtown in the core you know with a long-term plan for that all right we've uh we've decided that we're going to talk about developing the city of edmonton so uh people who uh do not live in edmonton you're definitely gonna want to tune in yes because you might want to move here if we have enough good ideas on our next podcast indeed thank you to uh Brittany leblanc once again for being our guest on our very first episode of the unknown studio it was my pleasure it was our pleasure. It was. Especially Adams. Especially Adams. You can tell because I'm naked. He's very excited. In cooperation with iNews880.com, you've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 1. Our guest, Brittany LeBlanc. Our topic, social media. Reproduction done by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. values.